So there is a kids' church. Uh, so they'll be outside there in the uh, just in the shade outside under the mango tree. Thanks, Jenny. Saved by Grace from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. And this is part 8 in our series, the Epistle, the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians. So we continue our, our series on this, this great letter to the Ephesian church, written 2,000 years ago. But last week we started looking at the, the second chapter and, and the terrible state in which mankind finds itself in. And the condition which lies behind all the trouble, all the difficulties, all the, the terrible things happening in our world, all the problems in your life and mine, is because of sin. But there's more than that. It is also called, the Bible calls it, spiritual death. And then came the words in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4, but God, this is the condition of the world, this is the condition that many of the Ephesians found themselves in, but then God intervened, but God. And that made all the difference because God sent his son in the person, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, the son of God, he was born, he lived, he died, he rose from the dead and his victory is ours, his life is ours. And we look around and see how desperately hopeless our predicament is, the world's predicament is, apart from the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. So this morning we look at one of the best known passages in the Bible and because it is one of the best known passages it is sometimes difficult to preach on because we have heard it so many times. And there is a good reason why this is such a great passage because it is because it contains the gospel message in a nutshell. And I think we should all try and memorize these words so that we can recall them again and again as a reminder of our wonderful salvation. And what an occasion it is today because we are looking at these words in the context in a day when we are celebrating baptism. This passage contrasts both how we have been saved and how we have not been saved. And there are only two possible ways you can be saved. The first is through the effort of another. The second is through your self-effort. And lastly, it is all for a purpose. You are saved for something. So let's start off with our first point, by someone else. How can we be saved? You are saved by someone else. Verse 8. For this is the grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. And for believers that someone else is God himself. Some may feel that at this place we talk a little bit too much about grace. 
And I say, well, we don't talk enough about it, actually. Because grace describes that which is freely given. It is God's unmerited favour for those who are totally undeserving. It cannot be earned, it is not deserved, otherwise it would not be a gracious gift of God. You can work and then you get a bonus, but even the bonus is not a work. It's, 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 not, it's not a gift. It's because of the work that you've done. If you work for it, then it is wages earned. So when your boss pays you your wages, um, nobody runs after them and says, Oh, thank you for this wonderful gift. Thank you so much. He would probably think, well, You're an idiot. You've earned it. This is what I'm paying you, what you've. This is the hourly rate. This is what you're getting paid. So it's not grace. You've earned it. This is work. And the Bible teaches that there is something for which we have worked and therefore the wages we do deserve. And what is the wage? It is called death. Well, that's not very nice. We spoke about this last week and in in Romans Paul tells us, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Romans 6.23 We never deserve anything from God but judgment because judgment is what follows sin. If he gave us what we deserve, we're all ending up in hell. Yet in his mercy, he patiently waits for us to come to him. The fact that you're still alive means he's patiently waiting for you if you have not yet given your life to Christ. So we need a a little bit of a language lesson to fully appreciate the implication of these words which were originally written in Greek. It's in the perfect passive participle. The perfect tense points back to an action that took place in the past but has continuing results in the present. You were saved in the past with the result that you are still saved. Paul is literally saying, By grace, we are in the state of being, of having been saved. So if you put your trust and faith in Jesus, you are saved already. No need to doubt about it. Furthermore, the passive voice means that salvation was something which was done to you. You did not save yourself because you weren't able to do so. A dead man cannot raise himself up. You call the ambos, you try and do resuscitation, you try and bring somebody back to life, but they can't do anything. They're totally helpless. There's no breathing, there's nothing. 
He needs somebody else to do it for them. And when it comes to us, we just didn't need a resuscitation. We actually needed a resurrection. We're gone without Christ. And, that, and God provided that miracle on our behalf through faith in Jesus. Now, let's not make the mistake and think that faith is a quality that only some people have and others don't. That you've got to work yourself up for it. If you, you, know, if you read enough and, and all of this, then you're going to have to develop it. You know, or you can think, well, that's just his inclination or her inclination. He was born that way. He was born in a family of Christians and therefore that's why they have a Christian faith. It could be a gene, I think, that runs in their family. That's why, you know, the granddad is a Christian, Dora is a Christian, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. It's, it's a gene, you see. That's what they say. But the Bible says... This is not from yourselves. It's not in your genes. Each and every person has to come through faith in Jesus. This means that we have contributed nothing toward our salvation, including our faith. So Paul is talking about the whole gamut of salvation. Faith is also a product of the working of God. It is a gift of God. That every bit of it, everything, is by grace. Even faith is a gift. Now, many will find this a little bit hard to believe because they say, well, don't know I have to exercise a little bit of faith in the, in, in the whole thing? I mean, no, because even faith is not something that we generate on our own. It is the Holy Spirit's prompting in your life and mine. Faith, as well as grace, is a gift of God. By grace, we receive the faith that enables us to believe that he has sent his Son, And some of you perhaps are thinking, how is that possible? Like, I, I, I need to bring something. No, it's a gift from God. And because some of you are probably frustrated. It says, why didn't I hear this stuff before when I was growing up? Why didn't I just... Well, because faith is a gift. Your eyes were still covered. You still had scales in your eyes like the Apostle Paul. And you need the Holy Spirit and the power of God to break through and... Jumpstart your heart so that you're able to believe. By grace we receive the faith that enables us to believe that he has sent his son. That he died on the cross and it's something that salvation therefore is not something that we can achieve on our own. That's why the Bible says those great words. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and what? And perfecter of our faith. So who's the author? Who's the author? It's, it's, it's God. It's Jesus. The author. This is not from you. It's his. The author and perfecter of our faith. Hebrews 12, 2.
So, firstly, we can only be saved by someone else, or you can try and save yourself by yourself. Verse 9, not by works, not by works, it says, so that no one can boast. The poet uh, W.E. Henley published his well-known poem Invictus in 1875. Uh, The words are intensely individualistic, they're stoic, they are defiant. Uh, It affirms the idea that you can make your own way through life and death. And and it continues, it's very popular today because the words are very appealing to many who who like the, the idea of being in charge of their own lives. This is the world we live in. I'm going to make my own way through this world. I don't need anybody else. Nobody can tell me what to do. This is the first stanza of his poem. 150 years ago. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. Then the last stanza, you can almost picture him raising his fist against God. This is what he writes in the last stanza. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. We, are, we fool ourselves if we think we are in control of our circumstances here on earth, much less in heaven. Well, let's just talk about here on earth. Have you ever walked through a hospital ward with kids with cancer? It has to break your heart, right? Do you know you're driving on the road and at 100 kilometres an hour, single lane each way, and you're, the most that separates you from the other car travelling in the opposite direction as you're travelling down the country highway is maybe two metres separation. Do you know that you're only two metres away from death? That somebody just looks down on his phone, has a bit of a, a nod, and bang. Gone. Do you think you're in control of your situation there? It might not be your fault. It could be somebody else's. You are not the captain of your soul. Not here and much less in heaven. And then then we have the anthem that is heard in so many funerals. I've done a lot of funerals and I hear this quite a bit. uh, Sung by old Blue Eyes himself. Know who old Blue Eyes is? Frank Sinatra, right? He didn't write it, but he certainly owned the song. Um, and this is the last. These are the last words from. Yeah, I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> For what is man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. Ouch. 
The record shows I took the blows and I did it my way. Now, some of you here are probably doing, you know, have done things or maybe are doing things your way. And let me ask you, how's that working out for you? This morning we are witnessing six people who tried to do things their way but found it nothing but defeating and frustrating. Consequently, they turned their life over to God and started to do things his way. Their baptism is an act of obedience. It demonstrates an out, it's an outward act of something that's already happened inside, between them and God. Going under the water represents death to their old life. Coming out is surrendering to a new life in Christ. That's what baptism is. Let me get back to our heading. So you're going to save yourself. According to a recent poll, a recent poll, 88% of Christians, Christians, okay, we're not talking atheists, 88% of Christians believe that if people are generally good or do enough good things for others during their lives, they will earn a place in heaven. So if I was to do a survey even here, Many of you would agree with this and would say, yeah, that's, I agree with that. So this tells me that many here still, and I'm not talking about non-Christian, I'm talking about Christians, still believe you can be saved by your works or you can meet God halfway in such a way that he is obliged to take you in because you're a good, basically a good person. Well, the problem is that we probably have a very little idea and appreciate what the sinner is. Sin, you see, is not just something you do, it's something you think as well. The Bible says that even if I hate my brother, hatred, something inside, you've actually murdered him in your heart. That's how serious it is. This shows that God has a different standard from us when it comes to to sin. And God also has a very different standard when it comes to, to ours, when it comes to good. His standard is actually perfect. It's called perfection. Nothing else will do. Only perfection buys your way into heaven. Only perfection, nothing else. bit hard for people to accept, but that's what the Bible says. So the next thing is to go for a lower entry, entry standard called the good enough to get into heaven. You're asked why you should be led into heaven and what will you say? Well, I tried my best and, and I did no harm to anybody. I actually tried to do good to everyone. And, you know, there's a lot of people worse than me. You know, goodness me. They've done terrible things. Just look at my neighbour. I don't know what goes on in there. 
But I'm not like that. I'm a good person. You ever thought like that? Listen to the words again. Not by works. Not by deeds. Not by your own doing. It's, it's pretty clear. You'll never get into heaven by works. But why can't it be by works? I mean, don't we, don't we need a strong motivation for people to do good, good things in this world? Don't we need that? What better incentive or carrot than telling them that by doing this or giving that much, that God will give them an ultimate blessing and let them in? Yet Paul tells it clear so that no one can boast. That's why there's no no one in heaven through good works, so that no one can boast. So in heaven there is no boasting allowed. But there is a lot of boasting and bragging here on earth, isn't there? Champion boxers do quite a bit of it. Muhammad Ali once said, I am the greatest. And Floyd Mayweather, uh, he said, I don't fight for bragging rights. I've proved myself. There is another place where there is a lot of boasting and it's called hell. Jesus told us in the Gospels, he told us about a day that is coming when he is not a saviour, but he's a judge. And this is what he said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 to 23. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Away from me. You see, what what is happening here? What is happening? Jesus is quoting, he is repeating the words about these people who are boasting about their accomplishments on earth. So they could be let in. says, but we've done all this stuff. We've done all these things. We've helped that little lady across the road. You know, please let me in. To no avail. But the attitude in heaven is very different. Those who are in heaven can't even remember the good deeds they did. Matthew 25, 37 to 39. This is a point brought up by Pastor David Leggy. And uh, this is is the, the words of Jesus. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? They can't even remember. It shows that they didn't didn't get there by their good works because they can't even recall them. There's nobody boasting in heaven. In fact, what is happening in heaven is that they're casting their crowns before the throne. I'm not worthy. You are worthy, Lord. It's the reason I'm here. 
Let's face it, we cannot make it on our own in this life. In fact, from the moment we are born, it is clear we cannot live without somebody else's help. Somebody else's support, acceptance, understanding and Life turns dull, bleak, barren without the relationships we have with others. In fact, we need each other more than we like to realise. Even in a country like Australia where we are encouraged to live sort of individualistic lives on our own. I've said it many times before, but uh, I'll say it again. One of the saddest funerals I ever did um, was in Botany Cemetery. Nobody turned up to the funeral. It was just me and the funeral director when this person died. Nobody. I tried to ring and call. I didn't know the person. I just asked to do the job. And I'm saying, what a sad life. You've lived your whole life, lived to 70, 80 years of age and nobody, nobody came to say goodbye. We need each other. We cannot do it on our own. And if that's a reality for life on earth, we cannot make it to heaven on our own. We need God's help. So for those of you who have not yet surrendered your life to Christ, let me give you the simple gospel. And it's, it's an acrostic, easy to remember. The simple gospel. G, God created us to be with him. O, our sins separate us from God. S, sins cannot be removed by good deeds. P, paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. E, everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. And lastly, L, life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. That is the gospel. Can't put it any simpler than that. And it's all from the scriptures. So, what is all this for? For a purpose. You can save yourself. You can try, but you won't. You need somebody else to save you. But even when we are saved, what is it for? Is it just so we can get our ticket and everything's fine? No, we are saved for a purpose. Verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. For what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The word translated for handiwork or workmanship is really the word in the original language for poem. For poem. So in other words, we are his poem. We are God's poem. We are his masterpiece. And when we think of God's handiwork, we usually think of the wonders of the universe, the sun, the stars, the human body. And talking about the human body, for example, if all the DNA in your body was put end to end, it would reach to the sun and back over 600 times. 
Some of our bodies might be 1,200 times, but let's just keep it for 600. These, these facts are amazing. The, the amount of information in the, in the DNA, and it's all by evolution. It's all by accident, really, honestly. Trust me. It all just, you know, scum on top of a pond and whatever. They sort of stuck in. They started crawling and they started climbing trees and here we are. Really? What is even more wonderful is still that it, God is making, he's moulding, he's weaving the very character of Christ in every believer. That's why I, I like the stickers I, I used to see behind the cars, you know, especially bad drivers have a stickers behind them and says, God is not finished with me yet. And I can say, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> So let's avoid putting the, the cart before the horse. While works has no part in securing our salvation, after we are saved, we are to prove, we are to show, we are to display our faith is real by our works. And here we can see that works is in the correct order, in the correct place. And this verse is giving the, the outcome of all that has come before for the purpose. We are saved for a purpose. We are not saved by works, but we are saved for works. Luther, the reformer, said it's not against works that we contend, it's against trusting works that we contend. Another Protestant reformer said, faith alone justifies, but not the faith, the faith which is alone. So the Bible talks about a lot of different works, and here are the not so good ones, okay? The works of the law, Galatians 2.16, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law no one will be justified. What about another type of work? The works of the flesh, Galatians 5.19-21. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, depravity, idolatry, sorcery, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish rivalries, dissensions, factions, envying, murder, drunkenness. Are you, are you keeping up? Uh, carousing and similar things. I am warning you, Paul says, as I have warned you before, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And there's an interesting one here, Titus 3.5, the works of righteousness. He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done. I mean, what are the righteous things? The righteous things are the good things we have done. All the good things we thought were going to lead us and count toward our credit system. But no, he says, not because of those things, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth, renewal of the Holy Spirit. Now, hearing all of this, there's, there's a real danger that for many believers that we start to minimise the place of good works in the Christian life. We get the ticket, 
I'm going to heaven, so does it really matter how I live my life? That's not what the Bible says. Jesus said, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds, your good works, and glorify your Father in heaven. So they're not going to... Paul Mozartuk, what a man. Wow. Just look at him. He's a picture of perfection. Look at him. (laughs) Even if one day I will die, I get a plaque on some building, what the glory goes to Paul Mozartuk. (laughs) The glory is to him. Everything. To him so that they may see your good works and not pump you up and all of that, they've got to give the glory to God. That's the idea. So stop waiting for the applause and, and, okay, you can applaud now type of thing. Stop performing for people. Start living for God. Again, we don't obtain anything from God by working for it. We receive his grace, his mercy, his love. But this results in good works. That should be the natural response from a grateful heart. Why are you doing what you're doing? Because of Jesus. It is designed, your life and mine is designed to produce good works. And good works includes living a holy life. And, and, and it's not... It shouldn't be mysterious. God has already prepared the stuff we are to do. He's going to use your gifts. He's going to use your talents. He's going to use your abilities, your intelligence. It's all for him. And as you walk in the spirit, he will lead you to them. Therefore, when it comes to good works, firstly, we should abound. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, hear the word all, you will what? You will abound in every good work. What else? Be fruitful, Colossians 1.10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Bearing fruit in what? In every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God. And then be equipped so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Over and over and over again. Perfect your skills, perfect your talents, go study, go perfect it, use it. My dad used to say, the sharper the knife, the better it cuts. Your mind is a knife, use it wisely. Keep it sharp. Don't be stupid. Too many stupid people out there. Use your mind. Let me leave you with these final words. A major difference between all the religions and what the Bible says is the difference between, simple difference between do and done. In all religions you have to do something to be saved, to go to heaven. But in the Christian faith, 
it's already been done. And it is precisely because it's done, then we do. Then we do. God bless you. Let's praise his name. Sing a great song. Thank you, guys.